Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, your IT team's top job should be understanding the mission. If you don't understand it, you'll never transform. So, th- so that is part and parcel, I think, of what CIO and CIO shops need to do today. Continuing the momentum of the Technology Modernization Fund. TMF has been a real driver here, and hopefully that model over time will prove that this type of of activity can be a good supplement. And the magic of the cloud for the Federal Election Commission. One thing I feel really impressive what cloud brings to us is like in really helping us to speed up innovation. It's Thursday, March 24th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration has new small business targets for government contracting. The agency says its new goal is 21% of agency-wide prime contracts going to small disadvantaged businesses during fiscal 2022. Last year's target was 5%. The Air Force has a new information warfare operation underway. The unit will equip airmen for, quote, the information environment and the electromagnetic spectrum. The unit's based at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base in Arizona. It's part of the 55th Wing that's based at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. You can read more on these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Decision makers from the Navy, the Jake Office at DOD, the State Department, and more agencies are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It'll be at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City, April 19th. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The State Department has more than $55 million in new investments in information technology thanks to COVID relief funding. Government Accountability Office finds the department used a lot of the money to support maximum telework and access to state's global open net. Richard Spires is principal at Richard A. Spires Consulting. He's former chief information officer at the Department of Homeland Security and the IRS, and he's author of Success in the Technology Field, a guide for advancing your career. Richard, welcome. Thanks for coming back on the program. What struck me about this was not so much that the State Department spent this money or what they spent it on. It's more philosophical and more strategic it it spoke to me about how important it has become in mission delivery am i reading this right do you think richard welcome yeah francis i I think you are reading it right and you know i think today every agency and agency head would admit that having good it support is foundational for being able to deliver the mission of the agency. I mean, you can hardly think of an agency where you, that wouldn't be the case anymore. Um, and so that recognition is there. I, I Sometimes though, I think the actions that then should back up that recognition are lacking in many agencies. So that's exactly the reason I wanted to talk to you about this, because you've written on this, you and I have spoken on this topic before. There's, It strikes me there's a responsibility in that equation both on the part of the CIO and the IT operation of an organization and on the other uh, members of the C-suite at an agency and on people like the deputy secretary or the deputy administrator or whoever the COO role is at an organization to understand the importance of the IT shop as a mission delivery partner and not just as an IT facilitator. That's that's where it seems to me that gap still is that you just referred to. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think you, you articulated it very well. There, there's, you got to have both sides. I mean, it, this partnership needs to exist for, for you to really drive my, my experience, both in the private sector and in government, is when you can get the partnership model working right, which by what I mean by that is that there's a good partnership between, let's call it the business side or the mission side and the IT side to, to deliver value. Okay, so it's not about you know you know faster uh, PCs or or faster network or anything. It's about how does IT really support the mission and business of the organization, and how can that change over time? And and that's where we need to be, and that's responsibility. So your CIO, for instance, you know, the CIO needs to elevate him herself out of the technology discussions and into if you will, the, the business enablement discussions. Um, and some CIOs are great at it and some are not. And, and I think that is where you start to see a, a divergence. On the same time, if you don't have the head of an agency or if you don't have the executives on the business and mission side really understanding what it takes and how to do their part of that partnership, things don't work that well either. So it is responsibility on both sides. So you used a term there, though, that I think is, I mean, might be the first time I've heard it described in the way that you just described it, that the CIO has the responsibility to elevate him or herself out of that kind of that corner that I think CIOs maybe have painted themselves into. What are the techniques that you've seen people use or that you've used yourself that have been successful in helping someone elevate him or herself out of that CIO perception and into that mission delivery business partner role that you discussed? Yeah, well, I, th I think it starts as an individual, if you're the CIO, really think, you know, putting yourself in the position of saying, I need to understand this agency, okay? I, I need to understand it as well as I possibly can. The business processes, how things are done, what are the inherent limitations, all right, or constraints, maybe from a law or regulation. They need to immerse themselves into the business. I mean, I, I think I've had this conversation with you before. One of the highest compliments I ever received was from the when I was asked to become the CIO at IRS and the commissioner at the IRS at that time, Mark Eberson said, I want you to be my CIO because I feel like you understand the business of the IRS. And, and, and that makes all the difference from that perspective. Now, in addition to you yourself being the CIO doing that, you need to get people on your team, like bring in some experts with customer experience background, right? Bring in some experts that know how to work with businesses or good analysts to be able to better understand, right? The business uh, and the business processes so that you can really look to digitally transform them. I mean, if you don't understand it, you'll never transform them. So, th so that is part and parcel, I think, of what CIO and CIO shops need to do today. That strikes me as just a classic leadership technique that doesn't have anything to do with technology. You understand what it is that the expectations are that your organization has for you, and then you identify people who can help fill in the knowledge gaps, the background gaps, and all of that to give you advice on how to move the organization forward. That's leadership 101, isn't it, Richard? Yeah, it is. I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm kind of a bit biased because I'm a, I'm a technologist by training with my my college education. However, I I 
you can be a very, very effective CIO and not have a not have a technology background because you're right. The, the skill sets are much more uh, about how you lead, how you collaborate, um, how you integrate information, right, in order to come up with good solutions. The st- the other thing about uh, all of this that I think is important. I just had a conversation today with some folks outside government that are trying to help government agencies understand their business processes, not to automate or digitize the business processes, but how to decide, okay, if you've got 10 steps in this process right now, maybe you only need four, maybe you only, maybe you need 12, but they could be 12 completely different steps than you're doing now that would make the process work better, that kind of thing. That is, is that a re- what you're talking about when you're talking about the CIO really understanding the business of an agency? Is it, yeah. a, is it the role of the CIO to help the business people figure out where their problems are too? Yes, to an extent. I think the role is, and this is where you need to have either yourself and or with your team to be able to understand the business processes and then bring um potential digital technologies and solutions that can, as you say, it may completely overhaul the business process. And I think, you know, in the last, particularly the last five years with what's come on the market, both on the data side and even AI, but, but also just how user-friendly, okay, a lot of these applications have become in the cloud you can transform a lot of business processes. And so it's bringing the right people together and the right tools. For instance, I'm I'm a big believer in something called customer journey mapping, which is, you know, you're looking at that customer. I mean, every, we all have customers, you know, how is that customer interacting with the agency, whatever that customer is, it could be a citizen, it could be another agency. And, and, And where are those really critical points of value creation in that journey? And what can we do, okay, to enhance that experience? Uh, it doesn't have to be technology necessarily that enhances that experience, but in today's world, a lot of times it's going to involve technology in some way or another. And, and so what do you need to do that? Well, on the business side, you need to have the, the analysts who have deep understanding of those business processes, okay? And on the, on the IT side, you need to have you know, individuals that, both understand customer experience and what could be done, data, and also let's not forget that 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 deep technologist. You, you need some enterprise architects, I call them. You need people that know how to put the pieces together in a way that you can actually deliver an enterprise solution. Um, and I think sometimes we kind of gloss over that these days, but it's very very critical. You have all those components in your CIO shop. So you can actually come up with enterprise delivery solutions that will scale, meet the customer need, and, and will continue to evolve. And, and also, by the way, that old bugaboo about legacy, you know, either decide what you're going to keep in legacy and leverage or what you need to replace. Very, very critical decisions for agencies, which I think many agencies do not do nearly enough planning work around. One piece of what you described there that I think is tremendously important too, you talked about thinking about how a customer interacts with the agency. And that becomes even more important in the context of the president's management agenda from this administration, which specific, they use the words customer experience right in the PMA and not just how that, that citizen, that customer interacts with 
an agency, but interact with all agencies and okay. and how they may find themselves on whatever that journey map looks like interacting on the same issue with a number of different agencies. They don't care where they get the solution from. They don't care where they get the information from. They just care that they get it. And in not having to bounce around from one to another. So I imagine that makes that even more incumbent on the uh, IT operations at individual agencies to understand that from an even more holistic view than they ever have before, right? Yeah, and, you know, it, and that's where it gets highly complex, mm -hmm. right? From the standpoint of just, you know, it's hard enough many times to work within your own agency and, and be able to deliver a unified experience. A lot of times when you're working across multiple agencies, you know, that, that, that becomes, I hate to say a bridge too far, it's certainly possible, but in today's world, you know, what I've been advocating is, you know, start with your own agency, make it work well there, and then start to reach out. And how can we further the customer experience to your point? Because you're right. Me as a citizen, I shouldn't care what, you know, I should have one portal in. And if I have to deal with multiple agencies, hopefully that's transparent to me. Ideally, that's transparent to me. Um, so, uh, or, 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 or I don't care, right? I, I shouldn't have to deal with that complexity. But many agencies just aren't there yet. I don't think we're there yet for the most part as a federal government. But that doesn't mean we, sh we shouldn't be striving to do exactly what you said. Richard, it's great to talk to you about this stuff as always. I, I appreciate the way you think big about these things. Thanks for coming on the program. Well, thank you, Francis. You can read more about the State Department's IT investment in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Maria Rode is retiring as Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer. On Friday's show, you'll get an exclusive one-on-one -on -one with Maria. She and I will recap her career and look ahead at what she'd like to see happen in government IT in the future. That show debuts Friday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Technology Modernization Fund still has more than $700 million to give out after the latest awards to the Postal Regulatory Commission and the Selective Service. Members of Congress say that's the reason the TMF didn't get more money in the omnibus budget for the rest of this fiscal year. Dan Chenick's executive director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. He's former branch chief for information policy and technology at the Office of Management and Budget. Dan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. Is it possible to get more money out the door faster? I think people were surprised that in this last round, it's only about $9 million when there's still all that money sitting there. Welcome. Thanks, Francis. Thanks for having me. And um, it's possible, but it may not be wise um, because speed is not the, the only relevant consideration. Uh, the, the board, the TMF board is taking a careful review, making sure that the uh, investments are well justified, that the rollout plans are, are sort of well-defined in terms of milestones and iterative development. Um, and, uh, you know, that takes time, especially when the TMF board all has day jobs as, um, as CIOs uh, or IT leaders for their agency. One of the ways that they can uh, basically accelerate the process is by increased staffing. And I know that GSA is increasing the TMF program office, the PMO, uh, in terms of the staff capability there. And then they can do more legwork, um, sort of get more you know, in a in a pool where there's, I think, something like two two billion or so in the queue 
Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of analysis that goes on even before leaders at, at the board level can kind of come on. And so the more that, that can be done at the staff level, the better and faster it can be done properly uh, in terms of the board making decisions. Yeah, I think Claire told me on the Daily Scoop podcast on Monday that they have between two and two and a half billion dollars in proposals to go over. But, you know, you pointed out something to me before we started recording that I think is really important. And that is we're talking about 700 million, you know, 9 million just uh, awarded, maybe a billion dollars total in the TMF so far. I I think it's a billion two or something like that. You pointed out to me, government's going to spend a hundred billion dollars on IT this year about, and that's just what we've counted. That's, we don't know what's in some of these program lines in the budget that are dependent on IT, but aren't explicitly IT projects. How do, how do we keep the technology modernization fund relevant in, with that kind of scope? I mean, is, that, is there a risk that the TMF just kind of becomes overcome by events because there's so much demand and there's so much need? No, I think the TMF is critically important as a supplement to the spend. Um, and remember, there's we're just as a count um, uh, fact, the uh, government's probably better than it was when I was at OMB in terms of being able to track the spend. So 100 billion is probably a little closer to the mark than it was when we when we were first starting the budget on this 20 years ago. Um, but still, that it's a very relevant number, as is the roughly 7 billion, possibly more now in technical debt. That, that OMB found where we're sort of spending money on outdated legacy infrastructure that needs to be modernized. And so the TMF relative to that technical debt, you know, is a fairly substantial investment. Um, however, as you say, the overall spend affects lots of programs and projects that are sort of funded through the regular fiscal budget um, for the most part in agencies every year. And the TMF, one of the great things about it is it's set in motion a set of guidelines uh, which are now being enshrined in these new playbooks for how to basically develop IT in a modular, iterative fashion, how to think about bringing in modern technologies, think about customer experience, et cetera, um, that weren't necessarily focus, the focus of the larger investments. And so bringing some of that ethos from the TMF um, to the overall spend in terms of budget planning, and, and agencies are now starting to think about the budget actually for fiscal 23. Um, uh, is uh, is something that's important for them. And the TMF can help not only spur the project that it funds, but hopefully have a multiplier effect in both addressing the technical debt and then helping uh, spend that $100 billion more efficiently. Yeah, that was the part of that conversation with Claire that I found the most interesting, that the board is really going beyond what I thought its original charter was in legislation, which was to analyze proposals and award money. And it's really becoming kind of an advocate or a best practices center. In addition to that was the was my takeaway from the playbooks and some of the other activities they're undertaking. What do you think the right role of that board is? How big should that piece of their responsibilities get, especially given what you alluded to a few minutes ago, which is that they all have day jobs already? I think it's very important for the board to give clarity and transparency to best practice up front 
uh, that can help agencies that are applying to, to develop better applications that hopefully can be funded faster because there will be fewer questions as they come in. Um, if you think about many of the board members are also members of the Federal CIO Council and a lot and historically a lot of the CIO Council's best practice work, the best practices committee has been to highlight things like the best practices that are highlighted in the playbook. And so it's really an extension and I think a, a modernization of that process that, that is a, a positive step forward in, in the board scope. Is there a risk that some of the things that they'll undertake are things that other organizations across government are already undertaking? Like when I think about technology consultory practice, that to me sounds like 18F. And so I wonder if there's a risk of too many people doing the same things. <laughs> like we've never heard of that before in government, right, Dan? Right. Well, uh, to some extent, you can always have more exposure of best practice. And the question is, is it well governed um, in, from, the, from the council's perspective, from OMB's perspective, from the federal CIO's perspective? So I think that as those playbooks roll out, the hopefully there will be consistency across the U.S. digital service work, 18F's work, um, the principles of digital services and, and agile government. Uh, and the, the elements of the guidance coming out of the, the TMF will hopefully be seen as a sort of a, a group of coalescing documents as opposed to th things that are kind of flying apart from the center. Well, and Claire alluded to that, too, because she said uh, that the two organizations that just got these awards, PRC and Selective Service, didn't get all the money up front. You know, they will get the money, but they're doing they're giving the money out in an agile fashion as they expect that the agencies will undertake the projects in an agile fashion. That struck me as kind of really putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah. That, and that's a commercial investment model. And it's one that's not done commonly with appropriated monies. It's been done occasionally with other types of funds like working capital funds or franchise funds in the past. Um, but basically defining your end goal and then awarding money iteratively is something that's commonly done in, in commercial contracts. It's, it's something that government's been starting to do on the procurement side uh, as well in terms of agile contracting. Uh, and so this is, I think, one more step in, in how to build toward that. Our, our center wrote a report uh, on that um, a year, about a couple of years ago, talking about how to bring commercial capital investment incentives into government modernization. And I think this is very consistent with those recommendations. You triggered something there with a comment you made a second ago. And when you talked about working capital funds, there's been, I, this is my opinion, some apprehension about establishing working capital funds within the agencies. Um, when the TMF legislation was originally proposed, there were two kind of competing proposals um, to facilitate working capital funds in the agencies or to build the TMF as we know it today. And the compromise wound up being, well, we'll let agencies do both. We'll let them access this working capital fund that's centralized and we will let them uh, facilitate these stand, the stand-ups of their own organizations inside their own agencies. I'm not aware right now of any working, working capital funds within agencies. There may be some. What do you think that says about either the structures or the way the agencies want to leverage the money or uh, the way they want to spend the money once they've been awarded? What, what do we make of that? Uh, Dan. Yeah, you're right. The Modernizing Government Technology Act, um, which provided the authorization for TMF and these agency working capital funds, didn't really set out the parameters of those working capital funds beyond the agencies have the authority to do it if they want. 
Um, uh, and the CFOs of the agencies for a lot of technical reasons kind of question, do we need new authority um, to set up new funds? They, they do have in a number of agencies, a number of different kinds of working capital funds that are often the result of, of uh, user fee based programs or programs where they're tapping um, a particular need for an enterprise um, a project and agency where they kind of tap monies, IT monies going to different bureaus and they bring it into a central working capital fund. Uh, so you're still seeing some of those operate, but the I think the, the TMF has been the real driver here. And hopefully that model over time will prove that this type of You can read more about the Technology Modernization Fund in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. IT leaders from CISA and HHS headline the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference happening May 19th at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find the link to learn more about the event in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Federal Election Commission is one of the latest agencies to move applications to the cloud. Wei Lo is the chief information officer at the FEC. He told me recently about his agency's mission and why the cloud is a good fit for it. As one of our key the core like mission function is to make sure this campaign finance disclosure document available and data available to public in a timely, reliable, and accessible to the public so the public can make informed decision during the election process. Right, so for the past several election cycle, we noticed that there's a steep right of a campaign finance transaction data. And for that, I'll give you a little context. For past several election cycle, every year, reporting the transaction data to our agency double. So to meet that kind of challenging, so in, Started with 2015, and then we worked on the migrate our website, including the back-end primary database to the cloud. It's because to meet with the challenging ever-growing data, right? So by that 2018, we have a brand new website and primary database hosting for the website in the cloud. So that actually really make a huge impact on our mission because we was able to deal with like historic high level of transaction data for 2020 nation. In the 2020 nation, we, we see, we process and we see over 600 million transaction data. Okay, so to put that into context, it is a fine time compared to previous presidential nation, 2016 which only have 120 you know, million records. So luckily we, we are in the cloud and the cloud is scalable in helping us to achieve that, that mission better. And then I can proudly tell you that during this uh, 2020 election season, not only in kind of we process this uh, large data and also the requests to the data have been increased. And then we was able to achieve 99.99% uptime during that period of time mm-hmm. while we process all the data. So really cloud have been our main kind of supporting platform to, to be able to deal with these ever-growing data. Yeah. How did you analyze those problems beforehand? You talked about some of the issues that you had before the cloud transition mm-hmm. and how the cloud transition with the website and the 
database retrieval and so on, how the cloud helped address them. How did you analyze beforehand what your problems were and how you would address them in the cloud way? Oh, yes. And that's a, that's a great question because, you know, I joined FEC like 17 years ago. So, you know, my primary job is to make sure, you know, we have enough like, system power to support it. That's, you know, very clear what my goal, my job actually main function is. So, I, and luckily I have a group and really experienced engineer, DBA team. And then also I have a subject area expert. So what we do is we, every prior to the election season, we do the prediction. We project kind of data, what data we deal with. And then we build a system, that's prior to the cloud, we build a system to support that data. Right? So we actually purchase server, buying a nice thing, putting the place, waiting for, the, you know, for the data to come. So that is how it works. But now, of course, it ran into a several problems, right? So it, sometimes you not plan enough, you never know what you deal with. And then you run out, you had to patch, basically I had to steal the server or somewhere kind of patching it, make sure we don't experience any downtime during the critical fighting period. And the second thing, of course, sometimes you kind of over planning. Right? There are some server we purchase in there and then really not fully utilize it, right? So on top of that, that's another thing, uh, you talk about projection, another thing about how our system work is uh, very seasonal. So during the fighting period, you know, you got this interesting pickup and then after fighting period is going down, you know, it's really not like a straight line thing. So even like we plan it very well, that's prime to the cloud environment and you still has a server running idle during the non-peak period, right? Like, like the cloud really become the best choice for us because we can really run, back, run down based on the road. And then also like we only pay for what we use, right? So if not peak period, we kind of scale down. Actually for the 2020 election periods, we have this, uh, we call it like auto scale, like automated scale, right? So when we detect the usage and the data coming, it will be spinned up like a serial server when the activity now is being done. So let's make a huge difference between like, you know, prior to the cloud and after the cloud. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of the outcomes that you've already achieved by moving to the cloud, the added capacity that you were able to achieve and the better response uh, to citizens for the website. What are some of the other outcomes that you've seen as a result of some of the cloud moves that you've made way? Yeah, that's some other thing, you know, in addition to, of course, scale up the thing. Now, one thing I feel really impressive what Cloud bring to us is like, in really helping us to speed up innovation. So let me put that into another context. I mean, prior to the Cloud, when we do a new project, let's say we wanted to have a new service, right? We start a project and then we spec out on a server, we buy that, that's for that specific project only. But for the crowd, you know, you bring an engineer into the crowd and literally just like you bring the kids into a candy store, right? You have whole kind of existing native like technology available they can play with. You know, I mean, we talk about innovation. Innovation, our agency is really encouraging innovation, but at the same time, innovation is not cheap. Prior to the, <laughs> prior to the crowd environment, you had to kind of buy server, buy nothing, all that. If it doesn't work out, you have a lot of investment throw away. But right now, after we move to cloud, 
we actually set up a sample account for people to kind of try out things. Right? I mean, let me give you a good example of being a 2020 in June. In our website, we have a brand new feature we call the Campaign Finance Data API. Right? So Campaign Finance Data API is for like advanced data user, like a reporter, and then of, of academic researcher, they can pull the data from, through our API. And then they, instead of they had to download our raw data and build their database. So then now they, they can just plug into the API. To do that, it, it's very difficult with our cloud environment because you have, you know, you don't know the, the load and you don't, you know, you don't have all the different kind of new technology to try out, I think. So I, I think, one huge impact crowd to us as agency is really encourage kind of, you know, innovation. People started to, to really bring in new things. Actually started from next year, we started looking at AI and machine learning, try to use that. Because to do that without a crowd is going to, it, it is difficult. The CIO of the Federal Election Commission, Wei Lo, you can find a link to watch the full-length video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Maria Rote is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop Podcast. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.